Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 146 of the GDPR Weekly Show and coming up in this week's episode we have news that UK police forces have revealed their data breach performance over the last four years. And then staying with the police, we travel to Dorset, where Dorset police have had a data breach involving children's data. Then we travel across to Canada, where Canada Post has had a large data breach. And then we return to Europe, where Klarna, a buy now, pay later scheme, has had a data breach. And then following on from an article which we had in episode 144 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have further clarification on when you need an EU or UK GDPR agent. We then travel to the Republic of Ireland, where the Irish government departments have released their data breach statistics. And then, of course, this week, GDPR has celebrated its third birthday, and so we look at what has changed in the three years since GDPR came into force. We then travel to Brussels, where the European Parliament has fired a warning shot across the bowels of the Irish DPC for what it sees as inaction in GDPR enforcement against big tech companies who are based in Ireland. We then have news that audio maker Bose has suffered a data breach. And we then travel to Spain, where we look at what lessons can be learned from the AEPD judgment against Equifax. We then travel to Japan, where Fujitsu's project web has suffered a data breach, which has affected several government agencies. And finally this week, we travel to the Netherlands, where five Dutch cities are working on a GDPR-compliant mobility data standard. So as always, a mixed range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the articles useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback which we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. We begin this week with news from a Freedom of Information request served by VPN Overview on the UK Police Forces, which have shown that there were over 2,300 data breach incidents reported by just 22 of the UK's police forces in 2020. VPN Overview sent the Freedom of Information request to all of the UK's 45 police forces and received responses from 31 of them. Taken as a whole, the results reveal an average of 299 data breaches per police station over the period from 2016 to the first four months of 2021. These include a combination of human error, for example staff emailing sensitive information to the wrong recipient, and malicious third-party attacks. The study did reveal the best and worst offenders of the past four years. Lancashire Constabulary topped the list of forces suffering most incidents over the period with 1,300 incidents, followed by nearby Cheshire Constabulary with 1,193, Sussex Police with 980, and the Police Service of Northern Ireland with 928. Five forces reported fewer than 10 incidents between 2016 and 2021, while London's Metropolitan Police and Dorset Police claimed to have suffered no breaches at all in the last four years. If we look at 2021 by itself, then Sussex Police has already recorded 62 data breach incidents so far, followed by West Midlands Police with 37, North Wales Police with 24, and Wiltshire Constabulary with 12. To us, the standout figure from this is London Metropolitan Police, claiming that it suffered zero data breaches in over four years. Personally, we find this quite incomprehensible, 
because given the size of the Metropolitan Police, the number of police stations they have and the number of cases that they handle, that they should have affected a way where they have no data breaches when others are failing would seem to be a great surprise. And if that is the case, and they truly have no instance, then why have they not passed on that best practice to other forces in the country? So an interesting report on police data breaches, which does raise a few questions in our mind, some of which we'll return to in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. But we'd also love to know what you think. So please do send us your feedback to feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com or if you're following this broadcast from LinkedIn, then please just put a comment under our post on LinkedIn. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Staying with the police, in Dorset, police were investigating a serious data breach involving pupils from two schools in Christchurch. Information about an alleged race-hate crime was mistakenly sent to a man from Wimborne who had initially emailed the police about a separate incident. Dorset police say it was human error that led to the information about the school incident being released to a third party. It's understood that the message included the names of the two schools involved and the names of three pupils, including the pupil who is alleged to have sent the message along with its contents and the original report by the school to the police. In a statement, Dorset Police said, We can confirm that a data breach has been reported by, to us by a member of the public. We take any report of a data breach extremely seriously and have robust and clear internal processes to follow. Human error has resulted in the details of a reported incident being disclosed to another member of the public. Having been made aware of the breach, it was reported to our Information Assurance Department. This has activated an internal investigation where all aspects of the breach will be reviewed. We have stringent processes in place and a full and thorough investigation is underway. Part of this investigation is to determine whether a self-referral to the ICO is needed and if following the internal investigation it seems necessary, this will be done within the required time frame of 72 hours. All individuals named in documentation sent to the public have been notified and we will continue to engage with them and provide support. While Dorset Police manages many contacts with the public every day, this genuine human error will be prevented going forward due to new software being installed imminently. We have offered our sincere apologies to the person who wrongly received the data, as well as the individuals involved who have inadvertently had their details shared. To Ottawa in Canada now, and Canada Post says that more than 950,000 customers were potentially exposed during the data breach on one of its suppliers. Canada Post says it was informed by Comport Communications earlier this month that the manifest data held in their systems was compromised by a malware attack. The attack affected shipping manifests of 44 of Canada Post's largest business customers and included information relating to nearly 1 million receiving customers. Canada Post says that after a detailed forensic investigation, there was no evidence that any financial information was breached between July 2016 and March 2019. It says 97% of the affected records contained the name and address of the receiving customer, while the rest contained an email address and or a phone number. Comport also notified InnovaPost, Canada Post's IT subsidiary, last November of a potential ransomware issue, but said there was no evidence that customer data had been compromised. It's understood that external cyber security experts have been hired to investigate and take action, while the Office of the Privacy Commissioner has been notified. In a statement, Canada Post said Canada Post respects customers' privacy and takes matters of cyber security very seriously. The postal operator added that it will incorporate any learnings into our efforts, including the involvement of suppliers, to enhance our cyber security approach, which is becoming an increasingly sophisticated issue. If we receive any update on this, either from Canada Post or from the Canada Data Protection Commission, we will of course update you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. 
contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Klarna, Europe's largest private fintech company, which operates as a buy-now-pay-later scheme, has disclosed a data breach. Klarna, which is reportedly in the throes of closing a deal valued at $40 billion, came under fire on Thursday after users complained they were being accidentally logged in as other people, giving them access to strangers' personal information. That included randomised postal addresses and past purchases. Partial card details were also exposed. Klarna responded by temporarily locking down its app services and said a technical error was to blame. Klarna, headquartered in Sweden, now boasts over 90 million users worldwide and saw app downloads grow at pace last year both in Europe and the US. The reports of data leaks were blowed to the company which has scooped up increasing amounts of investor cash and is being wooed by regulators across the continent for a potential initial public offering. Klarna issued a statement later on Thursday that stressed the incident was not an external attack. It also initially stated that up to 90,000 app users had been affected but later reduced that number to a maximum of 9,500. The statement from CEO Sebastian Simakowski stated that there had been a self-inflicted incident that for 31 minutes affected not more than 9,500 of our users. He added that a human error caused the bug and it was not an external breach of the company's systems. It is important to note that the access to data has been entirely random and not shown any data containing bank or card details. Even though GDPR would classify the information visible as non-sensitive, for Klarna all data is important. We are taking this incident very seriously and we will work tirelessly to regain the affected customers' trust. It is not yet known whether the breach just affected UK users or whether it was widespread across Europe. If we receive any update on this data breach from Klarna, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Our news back in episode 144 of the GDPR Weekly Show about the requirement for an EU agent and about a company being fined €525,000 for not having an EU agent and then a further €20,000 for each fortnight which had continued not to have an EU agent has sparked a large number of tools to our help desk. And so we thought it was worth just clarifying the rules on when you'd need an EU agent, or indeed when you need a UK agent if you are listening to this in the EU and you have customers in the UK. So let's take the first scenario first. If you're a UK business, which means you're not now based in the EU and you don't have a permanent place of business in the EU, but you are targeting your goods or services at EU individuals or you monitor the behaviour of EU individuals, then you need to have an EU representative. It's important to understand that this requirement to have an EU representative in those scenarios is not a choice, it is a legal requirement. And if you do not have an EU agent, then you are potentially laying yourself open to fines of up to £8.7 million, or 2% of your worldwide turnover, whichever is the higher. So if you don't have a permanent EU place of business, but you have EU clients, or you are actively trying to attract EU clients, you must appoint an EU agent. We can help you with that. It doesn't cost a great deal of money. Please do contact us about it. If you need our help with those services, please contact us using the details that are coming up at the end of this article. So what if you're the other way around? What if you're listening to this in the EU and you have UK customers and you don't have a physical place of business in the UK? Well, the rules are very similar. If you are a private sector business with no physical presence in the UK, 
then under UK GDPR, you are likely to need to appoint a UK representative if you are targeting your goods and services at UK individuals, or indeed if you are monitoring the behaviour of UK individuals. Again, this is a mandatory legal requirement, it is not a choice, and failure to comply with it can result in large fines of up to £8.7 million or 2% of your worldwide turnover. So whichever scenario you're in, whether you're in the UK with clients in the EU or attempting to get clients in the EU, or you're in the EU attempting to get clients in the UK or with clients in the UK, you must appoint either an EU agent or a UK agent. The law is very clear on this, and now that we've had this prosecution where someone has been fined €525,000, plus a further €20,000 for each fortnight they didn't have an agent, it goes to show really how important it is that you appoint an agent because all the regulators across Europe are starting to tighten down on this. If they've not caught up with you yet, it's just a matter of when, not if. So do take action on this. Do contact us using the details that are coming up right now. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To Ireland now, and the Irish government has revealed details of the number of data breaches per government department. The department with the highest number of breaches is the Department of Social Protection, which had 371 data breaches in 2019, 508 in 2020, and 262 so far in 2021. However, it was anxious to stress that the majority of breaches were said to have been minor, such as letters sent to the wrong address. Other departments with high numbers of data breaches were the Department of Justice, with 131 breaches in 2019, 121 in 2020, and 51 so far in 2021, and the Department of Foreign Affairs with 124 in 2019, 163 in 2020, and 22 in 2021. Although it didn't feature in the top three, the Department of Children did have 362 data breaches in 2020. Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, who is also temporarily the Justice Minister, said that the Department of Social Protection takes data protection seriously, but that the breaches should be put in context. The Minister stated that the volume of social welfare requests needed last year in relation to the pandemic unemployment payment in particular had led to a greater risk of data breaches. While every data breach is a matter of great concern to my department, the number of confirmed breaches should be viewed in the context of the scale of the department's business, administering over 70 separate schemes and services, accounting for approximately €30 billion per annum and processing almost 2 million applications every year, she said. In particular, in 2020, the department has provided services to an extraordinary high number of customers. At one point, the department was processing over 50,000 claims every day. At its peak in early May 2020, 602,000 people were in receipt of PUP. Just under 20 million PUP payments have been made to nearly 900,000 people providing income support of some 7.5 billion euros to date. The vast majority of the confirmed data breaches relate to incidents where customer information was accidentally and inadvertently disclosed to third parties EC letters incorrectly addressed, she said. In each of these incidents, the Department followed procedures in accordance with the data protection legislation. Every effort was made to secure data as quickly and efficiently as possible. It's noticeable, again, that there are some departments where the number of breaches is very low. For example, if we just take the last year, there were 54 breaches by the Department of Agriculture, 45 by the Department of Education, 7 by the Department of Housing, 11 by the Department of Enterprise, 9 by the Department of Tourism, and 5 each in the Departments of Transport and Department of Finance. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. 
this week, of course, marks three years since the introduction of GDPR. And so what's happened in those three years? What, what are the main trends that we can pick up on? Well, the first is that data protection authorities are most definitely now enforcing the rules. I think it's fair to say that the time for education has gone, in their view, and it's now time for enforcement, or if you like, the carrot has been replaced by the stick. Now, obviously, that's taken a slight lapse in the last 12 months because of the effect of the COVID pandemic, but nonetheless, authorities have continued to strengthen their enforcement of the rules of GDPR. If we look across Europe, without doubt, Spain leads the pack of being the most active regulator, followed by Italy and, interestingly, Romania. Overall, data protection authorities have levied fines for a total monetary value of some 280 million euros. The other thing which is becoming more apparent is that it's failure of data governance which is triggering the most fines and penalties, and not data breaches per se. If we take the example we mentioned earlier in this week's episode about the company that got fined 525,000 euros simply for not having an EU agent. And there have been plenty of other examples in the last... 12 rating months of enforcement action being taken, not for a data breach, but for breaches of other sections of GDPR. So it's really important that you are on top of your GDPR procedures, and we will soon be releasing an updated version of our online training course so that everyone can get up to speed with the latest developments in GDPR. So please listen out for that. So we mentioned about EU agents, and fines have also been imposed for not having data linked to a specific purpose, data not being accurate, quality of data not being very good, fairness of processing, all these things that contain within GDPR are all now attracting penalties, and that's why it's really important you keep your GDPR training up to date. Another noticeable trend, if we look across Europe, is that employee privacy rights are climbing up the enforcement priority list. Whilst previously, maybe employee rights have been a little bit overlooked as far as GDPR is concerned, The regulators have now issued around 50 fines and enforcement actions for violation of employees' privacy. One of the things which regulators have brought to our attention is that they are concerned about the amount of employee personal data which is being kept in instant messaging tools, emails and other channels which employees use daily to communicate. It's also true that regulators are slowly but increasingly investigating companies that fail to deal with individuals' privacy rights accordingly, particularly things like data access and data portability. It has to be said that Europe's not alone in that. Um, There are similar problems in California, particularly with the introduction of the CPRA, the Californian Privacy Rights Act, and in Brazil with their general data protection law. And of course the final issue is the whole issue of EU-US and UK-US data transfers and the continued lack of totally validated standard contractual clauses. We hope that the EDPB will soon issue finalised versions of the standard contractual clauses and that those will also be adopted by EICO here in the UK, because that will make life a little simpler for anyone who's dealing with data transfers between the EU and the US. All we would say at the moment is that if you've got questions about data transfers outside of the EU, or indeed outside of the UK, then please do get in touch with us. And of course, you can always keep up to date with the latest developments in the trend of GDPR, right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. European Union lawmakers are facing further pressure to step in and do something about what they see as lackadaisical enforcement of GDPR after the European Parliament voted last week to back a call 
urging the Commission to start an infringement proceeding against Ireland's Data Protection Commission, the DPC, for not properly enforcing the regulation. We have contacted the EU Commission and the DPC for a comment on this, but we have not yet received any feedback from them, and when we do receive any comment from them, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Week Show. So to give a bit of history, last summer the Commission's own two-year review of GDPR highlighted a lack of uniformly vigorous enforcement. The Parliament's resolution, which while non-legally binding fires a strong political message across the Commission's bell, singles out the DPC for specific criticism given its outsized role in enforcement of GDPR. This is of course because lots of big tech companies have based their headquarters in Ireland to benefit from Ireland's low corporation tax rates. The text of the parliamentary resolution expresses deep concern over DPC's failure to reach a decision on a number of complaints against breaches of GDPR filed the day it came into application on May 25, 2018, as we said in the previous article three years ago including action against Facebook and Google, and criticised the Irish data watchdog for interpreting without delay in Article 60, Paragraph 3 of GDPR, contrary to the legislator's intention, as longer than a matter of months, as they put it. It's notable that to date the DPC has only reached a final decision on one cross-border GDPR case, that against Twitter. The Parliament also says that it's concerned about the lack of technical specialists working for the DPC and their use of outdated systems. It also criticises the DPCs for contributing to the CJEU judgment in 2018, known as the SREMS 2 judgment, which invalidated the EU-US privacy shield. As a result of that case, the SREMS 2 case, the Irish regulator sent a preliminary order to Facebook to suspend its data transfers between the EU and the US, and Facebook responded by filing for a judicial review of the DPC's processes. However, the Irish High Court rejected Facebook's petition last week and the stay on the DPC's investigation was lifted yesterday, so the DPC's process of reaching a decision on the Facebook data flows complaint has at last started moving again. Nonetheless, it's not expected that we'll have a final decision in that case for a number of months yet. In a statement, the DPC said that it's now written to Facebook following the lifting of the stay, giving the company six weeks to provide submissions on the preliminary order. The Parliament's resolution goes on to state that it is worried that supervisory authorities have not taken proactive steps under Article 61 and 66 of GDPR to force the DPC to comply with its obligations under GDPR, and it goes on to say that it is concerned about the insufficient level of enforcement of GDPR, particularly in the area of international transfers, expresses concern at the lacks of prioritisation and overall scrutiny by national supervisory authorities with regard to personal data transfers to third countries, despite the significant CJEU case law developments over the past five years. It deplores the absence of meaningful decisions and corrective measures in this regard and urges the European Data Protection Board and national supervisory authorities to include personal data transfers as part of their audit, compliance and enforcement strategies and goes on to point out that the harmonised binding of administrative procedures on representation of data subjects and admissibility are needed to provide legal certainty and to deal with cross-border complaints. To New Hampshire in America now, where Bose has disclosed a data breach following a ransomware attack that hit the company's systems early in March this year. In a breach notification letter filed with the New Hampshire's Office of the Attorney General, Bose said that it experienced a sophisticated cyber incident that resulted in the deployment of malware and ransomware across its environment. Bose first detected the malware ransomware on Bose's US systems on March 7, 2021, the company added. In a statement, the company said that it had hired external security experts to restore impacted systems after the attack and forensic experts to determine if any of its data had been accessed or exfiltrated by the attackers. We did not make any ransom payment, 
Bose Media Relations Director said, We recovered and secured our systems quickly with the support of third-party cybersecurity experts. During our investigation, we identified a very small number of individuals whose data was impacted and we sent notices to them directly in accordance with our legal requirements. There is no ongoing disruption to our business and we are focused on providing our customers with the great products and experience they've come to expect from Bose. While investigating the ransomware attack on its network, the audio maker discovered that some of its current and former employees' personal information was accessed by the attackers. Based on our investigation and forensic analysis, Bose determined on April 29, 2021, that the perpetrator of the cyber attack potentially accessed a small number of internal spreadsheets with administrative information maintained by our Human Resources Department, Bose said. Those files contained certain information pertaining to employees and former employees of Bose. Employee personal information exposed in the ransomware attack is understood to include names, social security numbers, compensation information and other HR-related information. While Bose did not find confirmation of the threat actors behind the incident exfiltrating data out of its network, the company says the attackers were able to interact with a limited set of folders. Bose's statement went on to say that Bose has engaged experts to monitor the dark web for any indication of leaked data and has been working with the US Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. Bose has not received any indications through its monitoring activities or from impacted employees that the data discussed herein has been unlawfully disseminated, sold or otherwise disclosed, it said. After the ransomware attack, Bose took the following measures to defend against future attacks. It enhanced malware and ransomware protection on endpoints and servers to further enhance our protection against future malware and ransomware attacks, performed detailed forensic analysis on impacted server to analyse the impact of the malware and ransomware, blocked the malicious files used during the attack on endpoints to prevent further spread of the malware or data exfiltration attempt, and enhanced monitoring and logging to identify any future actions by the threat actor or similar type of attacks, blocked newly identified malicious sites and IPs linked to this threat actor on external firewalls to prevent potential exfiltration, changed passwords for all end users and privileged users, and changed access keys for all service accounts. The company also sent breach notification letters to all individuals impacted by the ransomware incident on May the 19th. For those unaware of Bose, Bose is a privately held consumer electronics company that manufactures audio equipment for entertainment and the aviation and automotive industries. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show and you've got a really good memory, then you might remember that back in episode 7 of the show, we first spoke about a large data breach at Equifax. And we then went on to cover that further in episodes 15, 62, 78, 94 and 99. So if you want to follow the whole story, do go back and listen to those episodes as well. But this week, we want to look at what lessons can be learned from the GDPR breach at Equifax. And for those not familiar with it, the Spanish Data Protection Authority, AEPD, fined Equifax 1 million euros for processing publicly available personal data unlawfully in violation of the purpose limitation, data minimization and other GDPR requirements. It ordered Equifax to stop the processing and to delete all the personal data that was subject to such processing. So what can we draw from this? Well, we need to look under several headings. If we look first at purpose limitation, the starting point for analysis is that the origin of the data and the purposes for which such data was collected and later published and that the controller must assess whether the purposes were compatible and complied with GDPR. The AEPD ruled that in this case there was no connection between one purpose, a public notification that constitutes a guarantee to preserve a fundamental right of the data subject and that therefore overrides their right to data protection, and Equifax's purpose, which was providing potential harmful or negative information about the data subjects to different businesses who subscribe to the Equifax service. 
There should not have been any reasonable expectation of the data subjects for their data to be processed in such a way, given the context, according to the AEPD. So if we turn then to the lawfulness of processing, according to Article 5, Paragraph A of GDPR, and Recital 39 and Article 6, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph F, an interest can only be legitimate if it is lawful in the first place. However, as we just explained, the processing carried out by Equifax was not lawful, and therefore its interest can never be legitimate. But the AEPD said even if you carry out a legitimate interest balancing test, the balance fails, because it argued the fundamental right to data protection would override the legitimate interest of the controller and third parties, and the legitimate interests alleged by Equifax were double. One, an interest from the controller and third parties to be recipients of the data linked to the assessment of the financial solvency of the data subjects, and secondly, an interest linked to fraud prevention. But the APD would argue that the processing was not strictly necessary to achieve the purpose alleged, and such purpose can be achieved by other means. In particular, it pointed out that the terms convenience and necessity are not interchangeable. It also said the processing was not adequate, given that the data collected was not updated, could be inaccurate, and only represented a small and not representative part of the population, and there was no balance of interest between the controller and the negative consequences posed to the data subjects that additionally could in any way have a reasonable expectation for such processing to happen. The AEPD then turned its attention to accuracy and said that a controller shall not process data if it's not able to ensure the accuracy of the data and that it's kept up to date. Of course, that's a fundamental GDPR. It also said that if the purposes for which the data was collected are different, it's also possible that the level of accuracy required is different. In this case, the level of accuracy necessary to notify a data subject of a debt is not the same as the level of accuracy necessary to assess the financial reliability of a person. Because it was using publicly available data, the AEPD argued that it was impossible for Equifax to keep the data up to date, as once the precise moment of notification passes, the data may already not be correct. And the APD also argued that without properly being able to identify the subjects to which the data belong, it's unlikely that the controller, in this case Equifax, can adequately achieve the interest that they allege. The APD then looked at data minimisation, particularly the clause within GDPR that processed personal data should be adequate, relevant and limited to what is necessary in relation to the purposes for which it is processed. The APD here argued that because the purpose limitation principle had already been violated, it was impossible to comply with the other principles it relies on. And finally, they turned to the duty to inform, and they argued that Equifax did not notify all the data subjects about what data it was processing, as required by Article 14 of GDPR. While the database contained data of more than 4 million people, Equifax had only notified around 340,000 of them. So I think there are some real lessons to be learned there from the Equifax case and we'll be looking at some of these in greater depth in the coming weeks here on GDPR Weekly Show. To Japan now, and offices of multiple Japanese agencies were breached via Fujitsu's Project Web Information Sharing Tool. Fujitsu states that attackers gained unauthorised access to projects that used Project Web and stole some customer data. It is not yet clear if this breach occurred because of a vulnerability exploit or a targeted supply chain attack, and an investigation is ongoing. On Wednesday, the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, Transport and Tourism and the National Cyber Security Centre, NISC, of Japan announced that attackers were able to obtain inside information via Fujitsu's information sharing tool. Fujitsu also said that attackers had gained unauthorised access to projects that use Project Web and stolen proprietary data. Fujitsu's Project Web enables companies and organisations to exchange information internally with project managers and stakeholders. 
by gaining unauthorised access to government systems via Project Web, attackers were able to obtain at least 76,000 email addresses and proprietary information, including email system settings, as confirmed by the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, Transport and Tourism. The exposed email addresses included those of external parties, such as members of the Council of Experts, who have been individually notified. It's believed that Narita International Airport, located near Tokyo, was also impacted as Fujitsu attackers managed to steal air traffic control data, flight schedules and information on business operations. Additionally, Japan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said it had suffered a data leak in which some study materials had been exposed to unauthorised actors. It's understood that Fujitsu has suspended its project web portal while the scope and cause of the incident have been fully investigated. In a press release, Fujitsu said that they will be notifying the relevant authorities and work with their customers to identify the cause of the breach. If we receive any further update on this from Fujitsu, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. And finally this week, we travel to the Netherlands, where five Dutch cities are working to develop a European mobility data standard. The working group will test the initial version of the standard on existing use cases from the five biggest Dutch cities. They'll be looking at shared cars and cross-city permits in Rotterdam, e-hubs and e-scooters in Eindhoven, shared carrier bikes in Utrecht, and shared e-scooters in Amsterdam and The Hague. While the group will initially focus on these five Dutch cities, the longer-term aim is to work towards developing a European data standard. It's understood that the European city network Paliz will facilitate the collaboration between the cities and the mobility providers towards agreement on a common data specification for mobility data sharing. All the parties involved in the trials have emphasised that all trials will be fully compliant with GDPR. In a statement, Ros Terzen Butler, chairperson of the City of Amsterdam's Data Specification for Mobility Working Group and Chief Technology Officer at Dutch startup Targoroo, said, The key thing about making sure the data is accessible to cities in a way that is proportional and compliant with GDPR. What we have to recognise is that cities are going to ask transport firms for data. That data is coming whether we like it or not. We therefore have the impetus to make sure that the data requested is in a standardised format and that there's a standardised understanding of why they're being asked for the data. He went on to say that he sees the new standard as complementing rather than competing with the Open Mobility Foundation Mobility Data Specification, which is already used in several European cities, including Lisbon in Portugal. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurative production. Until next time, bye-bye.